0: Good morning, my dear friends, to all our dear audience on KNUS 710 AM or via podcast. I welcome all of you. This morning, we shall interact first by waking up, praising God. If you're married, give a good and warm, safe greeting to your wife or to your husband. Give a good warm morning hug or welcome with a special social distancing safety, of course, to your children and to all those who you live with. Do me a favor. It's okay to turn on your radio at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. Next, of course, let us warm up the day by being nice to each other and by being nice to the Lord. This is Father Andre and good holy Sunday morning with God. Good morning, my Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, O Divine Father. Good morning, O Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Good morning to all of those who have joined us today on this beautiful episode of Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. This is Sunday, April 18, 2021. And let us begin with a prayer together. O God, come to my assistance. O Lord, make haste to help me. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. And in this holy season of the resurrection of the Lord, we all exclaim, Hallelujah. i like us to pray a few verses together from Psalm 104, a hymn to God the Creator. Lord, my God, how great you are. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, my soul. Lord God, how great you are. Clothed in majesty and glory, wrapped in light as in a robe. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord, my God, how great you are. Hallelujah. Praise be the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in this holy season, which shall continue to exclaim and say, The Lord, the Christ is risen. He is truly risen. Hallelujah. You know, my dear friends, uh, Every Sunday morning, I've been receiving many calls from you, and I want to thank you for your encouragement, for your dedication, for your commitment to help us bring in hope and freedom to all people and to revive faith, family, and community. This is Good Sunday Morning with uh, Father Andre, and I have the great honor today to welcome who's going to end up being a great mentor and a friend. Uh, and great acquaintance that i come to know through common friendship uh, with susan fox today we have with us uh, on the phone catholic author freelancer charles colomb charles colomb a great american and uh, definitely um, for three decades he has been spending his time writing books and articles lecturing and uh, uh, in recent years uh, he has been dealing definitely with the internet and getting used to the social media he has debated before the oxford union he has spoken at universities across the united states great britain australia and in new zealand and uh, on one Uh, Memorable occasion in 1999. I believe uh, um, he was uh, trapped with his audience in a former royal palace in uh, Bucharest by papal security. And I like to ask him about this. Uh, this, deed, uh, this did, however, allow him to see the future St. John Paul II from above. Columb also found himself in one occasion attending a church service with Michael Jackson, believe it or not. is such an interesting, beautiful, and wonderful guest. If I may define him, he's a knight. K. N. I. G. H. T. He's a knight of the Lord. He's a knight um, who who loves nation, who loves country, who loves family, who loves God, who loves the freedom. Uh, he worked a lot on Catholicism, comparative religions, literature, cinema, folklore, and mythology, monarchy, uh, and I guess uh, it, it is it is enough. I let him speak. I wanna I wanna speak lively with him instead of speaking about him. We will have him for two visits actually for this Sunday and for the next Sunday. And we will be talking together about, uh, if I may call it from history, um, the world um, has gone more barbaric since 1914. We wanna know what happened. At that time, there was an Ottoman Empire. At that time, many empires were falling. The world was entering into a major global war. Um, So basically, I'm gonna ask him about um, all of these things. What happened? between nineteen fourteen and today. It is a time of the fall of the Ottoman Empire, World War One, um, a huge Christian persecution, changes in the church, changing is changes in Europe, changing changes in the US. And I wanna say please help me welcome together uh Doctor Um uh, Catholic author and freelancer Charles Colomb. Good Sunday morning, Charles, how are you doing?
1: Thanks very much, Father, I'm doing quite well. That's uh Beautiful day here in Trumau, as always.
0: <laughs> Thanks be to God. So tell me, why were you actually trapped by papal security in Bucharest, and how did it happen that you were found at a mass attending church with Michael Jackson?
1: Well, those are, those are both bizarre stories. Uh, the first, uh, it was back in 1999, and I had been uh, brought over by a monarchist group in Romania to lecture about monarchy in Romania. So uh, I had two, uh, two stops on the tour. One was Bucharest, and the other was uh, Timisoara, Timisoara, out in the Banat, as they say. Well, as uh, luck would have it, my first talk in Bucharest was to be given in the former royal palace, now the National Art Museum. And what I didn't know, and nobody told me, John Uh Paul II uh, was making an official papal visit to Romania, to Bucharest at that time. And he offered mass in the square below the palace, right by the palace was on, the palace square. So I was completely oblivious to this. I had no idea. I gave my talk, and then after the talk, there was a reception. And then the reception was over, so it was time to leave. Except that when we tried to, Uh, the security was on the other side and they wouldn't let us out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So God must have held you so you see the Pope, basically. It was God who was basically...
1: (laughs) We we all ran up to an upper floor to look down in the square and see the Pope. So uh, we saw him, but as a result, I'd like to say that I'm the only man you know who can honestly say that he was held prisoner by Pope John Paul II in the Royal Palace of (laughs) Bucharest
0: praise the lord you know know, we say in latin felici colpa felici colpa happy fault right happy fault
1: exactly although whose fault it was his or mine I don't know but (laughs) we were uh, it it was it was a a funny event and a a very pleasant one as far as uh, the Michael Jackson episode goes (laughs) well that actually happened when Princess Diana died oh wow and Uh, About a week after her memorial service in uh, London, it was decided that there was going to be a memorial service uh, for the British community in Los Angeles, and they would be having it at uh, an Episcopal church called St. James Wilshire. Now, I had absolutely no interest in going. Um, I was never what you would call a great fan of the princess. I mean, I wasn't sure happy she was gone, but I wasn't keen on doing it. It was on a Sunday. So the then council general called me, and he said to me, uh, "Charles, I would really appreciate it if you would, uh, would come to the service for uh, for Princess Anna." I said, "Well, you know, council general, I'm sure I'd love to, but I've got mass on Sunday." And well, he says, "Yes, but that'll be in the morning. This is in the afternoon. I would appreciate it if you would come." <laughs> that
0: is so amazing.
1: Uh, well, it was. It was. Uh, the whole, there were a lot, of, a lot of strange things about the story. I wasn't on the list and so on, and I was about ready to go home when, uh, you know, because the very officious gentleman and the, uh, in the uh, major, the, the way it was set up, the uh, front four fifths of the church were reserved. The general public were allowed in the back. You were supposed to be on a list and so forth to be let in with the um, invited guests. I get there. The man says, is your name on the list? I said, no, um, I don't think so. He looks and he says, well, I can't admit you. And I said, fine. Where are the general public going? And he, he wouldn't listen to me. He kept saying, I can't admit you. I was about ready to start yelling. But then the council general secretary came out and she said, oh, Mr. Kulam, I don't think you're on the list. And I said, I'm aware of that. <laughs> I want to go where the line goes. So she took me all the way to the end. And uh, I looked, and there was no way that that mob was going to get in. So I was about ready to leave, which she came running back and said, Councilor General says you should come with me. So I followed her back. And she deposited the friend that would come with me and myself uh, about five rows back. The front pew was empty. So my friend says to me, "Uh, who do you think is going to fill the front row? And I said, I've got no idea. Uh, I mean, if we were Britain or somewhere, I'd say royalty or gentry or something. But here, who knows? So the question was answered pretty quickly, because a few minutes later, out of a side entrance, in comes Michael Jackson and his entourage. <laughs> <laughs> and they filled up the front row. And my friend, who was not, uh, shall we say, terribly reverent in, in this area, he uh, he asked me, uh, where's Bubbles, meaning Michael Jackson's champ who used to oh, travel? Wow. And at that time, you remember, there was a great thing about how the queen was not being seen to be mourning, and people were very upset by this.
0: Correct. Correct. So
1: he says, he says to me, where's Bubbles? And I said, unlike Her Majesty, Bubbles is being permitted to mourn in private.
0: <laughs> I want to I wanna tell <laughs> well, you, Charles, I know you, you are a royalist, it seems. Like, I am in the presence of a man. It seems like your life is all uh, um, uh, meant by... Provident appointments. Well first of all, you were born on November eighth, nineteen sixty, which is the same day I believe uh John Kennedy was elected president, if I'm not mistaken, right? And uh um, That is correct. And and I think you lived in Hollywood, if I'm not mistaken. Right? You went to school yeah, somewhere I, in Los Angeles, your parents were were they actors?
1: Uh my parents were, yes. That's we were I was born in New York, you see, and uh In uh, 1965 or so, the bottom kind of fell out of off-Broadway. And uh, my dad figured, well, there's money to be made in uh, Los Angeles. Uh So we went off to Hollywood. But he soon figured out that the amount of time it would have taken them to get established in film, uh, his sons would have starved. So he fell back on a, a background he had in engineering. And uh, my brother and I went to school, started at Blessed Sacrament Hollywood, which just this year is closing down for good. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, uh, It's, uh, yeah, well, I, I, as my brother says, I feel bad that I don't feel bad. Um, The problem is that Catholic education in our time was not Catholic.
0: Yes, yes. And I want to ask you about many, many of these things, but I wanted to let the people get to know you a little bit. Um, I want us to benefit from from, from the great time with you to tell you you are a man of a wealth of knowledge, uh, specialized knowledge in history. And you have wisdom. You have a message to tell the United States of America about faith, about family, about freedom. Um, about uh, what is happening in the church, the unity of the Christians. How can we face um, this, this uh, barbaric, barbaric time that is according to which millions of people still are dying? We're talking barbaric time meaning since World War I, to be clear, right? Uh, and you and me, when we met before the show, I, I, I told you I am interested in the Ottoman Empire and the Christian persecution. I am interested to know what happened since Woodrow Wilson, 1912. What happened in the world? Um, America and the, um, you know, the uh, uh, Conference for Peace in uh, Versailles, in France. Uh, um, what happened? The origin of the Ottomans. A lot of history going on because I wanted to shed light to answer people's questions. Are we still in a one same war that started in 1914, and who are the heroes of this war?
1: Well, there weren't too many. Uh, I mean, apart from the the, the uh, poor folk that actually did the did the down in the trenches fighting. World War One. Well, I think we should take a step back, uh, firstly, and point out that during the course of the 19th century, uh, governments became increasingly secular. And the intelligentsia became increasingly secular. So, for instance, in my country, in the United States, as late as 1892, the Supreme Court declared that the United States are, in fact, a Christian nation. Wow. Now, that, that's never been reversed. It's just no. been sort of ignored. And what what they meant by Christian was very vague and very Protestant, um, you know, very nonspecific. But nevertheless... Uh, in the 1890s, you could say that. A hundred years later, you couldn't imagine the Supreme Court saying that. Uh, you had our uh, President Woodrow Wilson get elected in 1912 because of a split in the uh, Republican Party. And that year of 1912 saw three major changes in the United States that have continued to be with us ever since. Uh, one of them was the changing of the... Uh, the nature of the Senate. The United States Senate used to be appointed by the state governments, Mm -hmm. and was basically their watchdog on the federal government. Well, in the name of democracy, this was changed, and they pushed through a constitutional amendment, which meant that senators from now on would be elected by the people. But the problem with that, it sounds very nice, but the problem with it is that the people per se are not in a position to either supervise or support their senators. I mean, congressmen, you can, if, they're, if they're terrible, you can recall them.
0: Senators, but, you yeah,
1: can't. It's not that easy. I mean, it's like recalling a governor, which, of course, in California, we're in the middle of doing it. But to get 10% of the population of a state to sign off on a recall isn't very easy. The person has got to be terrible. To, to bring it to the uh,
0: to the ballot. So he came in very challenging context of uh, changing even in the uh, constitutional, I would say, exercise of democracy and freedom in 1912. And he became a president. 1914, World War One. 1916, 18, he started going. Um, into the negotiations in, in, in Paris, right? And I think he was almost the one who was looked upon as the only world leader that all of these leaders were looking at him to make decisions. Is that right?
1: That's that's quite correct. And the reason for that is, again, because of what the war ended up doing. Prior to 1914, the center of world finance was the city of London. And the United States, like most countries, were was a debtor country. That is to say, we had more debts as a nation to foreign countries than we had credits. But what World War I did before we ever got into it was, number one, it shifted the center of world finance from the city of London to Wall Street. And because of the enormous loans we made to the, uh, to the uh, battling powers, uh, we went from being a debtor country to being a creditor country. So all of a sudden, we were not just, as we had already been since 1898, a military power. We Uh were now a major financial power. And so by the time we got into the war in 1917, both sides were virtually exhausted. And so we were not, and we were in a position to dictate the peace, and we did.
0: Was it that um, piece that created uh, the successive wars in the world, or uh, did we do good job by trying to... Again, for those who are now joining us, this is Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre, and we have with us on the phone Catholic author, freelancer Charles Colombe, um, a great expert and monarchist and... Um, wonderful author in comparative religions, literature, cinema, folklore, mythology, uh, wildlife conservation, including, I believe, in Catholicism. And um, I'm very glad and I'm asking them about the context of World War I um, in 1914, ever since the world has gone more barbaric. And I'm quoting you, Charles, uh, by, by means, the world has gone more barbaric. Can you identify in 1914, in World War I, how bad things were? Well
1: a lot of a lot of things happened. One thing was I mentioned the uh, I mentioned that uh, governments and societies became more secular beforehand. But what they had was what was called later, the myth of progress, the idea that every day and every way we're all getting better and better, because they were inventing things, the telephone, the automobile, the airplane, and so forth. And it was considered that uh, because of his new toys, Man was becoming better and more civilized, but then came the war. And you've got to bear in mind that when the war broke out, none of Europe, not, no one in Europe had any idea of what modern war was going to be like, just how horrible it was going to be. Absolutely no idea. Wow! And so it was a shock in a way that World War II, surprisingly, was not. Because by the time World War II came along, I mean, it was worse in terms of numbers and so forth. But people were used to being bombed and gassed and otherwise abused. But for the generation of 1914, this was a horrendous shock. To some people, it drove them away from faith. Others, it drove them to it. Others, it drove to strange faiths, if you get what I mean, like spiritualism and so on, theosophy. I see. Um, But it shook them up. Really, in a, in a way that the closest we've come to is our little lockdown with COVID, which, as you know, has gotten us very excited. But it, it it can't begin to compare with the horrors of World War I.
0: In the context of 1914, a major persecution started and the name of the Ottoman Empire was all over it and somehow Can you just lay that context for us? Because today there is this also huge global persecution still unfortunately going against Christianity, added to it that the COVID-19, and somehow it seems that it succeeded um, by fact, locking churches, locking mosques, locking synagogues, locking places of worship as well. How involved was, how do you introduce the Ottoman Empire and religious persecution in a few minutes?
1: Well, the Ottomans. Uh, of course, they came, uh, they came into Turkey from Turkestan, from what's now Kazakhstan and all that, in the 1200s, and eventually they overthrew the Byzantine Empire, taking Constantinople in 1453. When that happened, their Christian subjects um, were made second-class citizens perpetually, and then from time to time, persecutions would break out. Now, in, in the course of the 19th century when this would happen, various European powers would intervene. The British, the French, the Austrians, the Russians. Uh, depending on where it happened, you would very often have a, a European cruiser show up, start bombarding a city, and then things would calm down. In 1908, the Sultan was overthrown and replaced with a, a figurehead Turkey.
0: Sultan. Is it-
1: the Young Turks, exactly. And the Young Turks came up with a different idea. Uh, whereas under the Sultans, The Christians had lived as separate political communities under their religious leaders. Uh, Now they would be made regular Ottomans. They'd be liable for military duty. They would become Turks. Mm -hmm. That didn't last long because the war broke out. And when the war broke out, uh, the young Turk leadership decided that the Christians were obviously in league with their Christian enemies, the Russians, the French, and the British, and so forth. So they began... Uh, persecuting them in ways that had been done before only worse Uh, and in addition to slaughter because of the mass movements and so forth there was starvation, there was disease and it, it it was
0: horrible. You, you know, started. Charles, the, the world was left. There is like over 2 million Armenians were killed at the time, 230,000 Lebanese Christians were starved, actually, at the time between 1915 till 1917, 680,000, I believe, Syriac people and Byzantines and, and, and Greek Orthodox 500,000. I think the number of the Christians were persecuted in that period of time. Was really over five million people, honestly, and and a lot of things geopolitically happen against them. We have one more minute that you can you, you can somehow describe. Did this cause an ongoing persecution, and has the world done enough about it to stop it, or it is this still going on?
1: Well, I, it's uh, it's still been going on. I mean, the fact is that Christians in the Middle East. After the war was over, most of them were chased out of Turkey. Of Turkey proper, that was part of the treaty between Greece and Turkey. Uh, but in countries like Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, Palestine, Libya, uh, where there were more or less Westernized monarchies, uh, they were they had a somewhat tolerable position. But each of these of these uh, setups were overthrown in the close of the 1950s, uh, except Jordan. That's the, the one standout. But the others all had gov- governmental change in the 50s and the, into the 60s. And when that happened, the positions of the Christians um, really became very bad and has remained bad.
0: And it has remained bad. I want to thank you, Charles. I I have another episode with you. Um, This is the end of uh, this morning's episode. Uh, Let's close it with a prayer. Um, May God free his people. When you became man, O Lord Jesus Christ, you became man to set us free. You did not spurn the virgin's womb, as we say. You overcame the sting of death and opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. May God bless us, protect us from all evil on this good Sunday morning. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us today for Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. Father Andre and his team rely on your prayers and generosity to help feed over 5,000 families in Lebanon every month. Go to missionofhopeandmercy.org to learn more. Your support helps buy supplies from local farms and factories, employ truckers to ship the food, all to let these families know they are not forgotten. Go to missionofhopeandmercy.org and donate today. And join us next week at 6 a.m. for Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre.